were here last week, but uh, we did, as a church, kind of celebrate the kickoff of the college football season. And uh, as a part of that celebration, I, of course, declared last week, on Sunday morning, I declared last week, Texas beat Notre Dame Sunday, a, a national day, actually, no, it was an international day of recognition. And that was on Sunday morning before Texas actually beat Notre Dame that night. Now, I'm not saying that my declaration is why Texas won per se, but I'm just saying it couldn't have hurt. And what was really funny was on the morning after, since it was, of course, Labor Day, I, I was at home by myself. Julie was out of town, and I don't know why I have my phone in my pocket. Make sure that's turned off. Anyway, I was at home by myself, and I was just kind of scrolling through Facebook, and apparently I was the only person in Austin not at the game itself last Sunday night. I didn't know that Royal Memorial Stadium would hold about a million five, but that's how many people apparently were at the game. Now, I was as happy as I could possibly be watching the game at home, kind of by myself, just me and Bo, my, the best dog in the world, just hanging out, and we've got a couple of other dogs, but Bo and I were there, and, and it was awesome. It was great, and I, and I could only imagine what it had to have felt like to have to have been in the stadium that night. I've talked to a few people who were there, and they were like, man, it was unbelievable. I don't remember the last time Royal Memorial Stadium was rocking that hard and that loud. It was unreal. Whoa, it was just so exciting. And I was happy for them, but it put me in the mind of a moment that I did participate in back in 1998. We had been in Austin just a little over a year, and a friend invited me to go to the game that Texas would play against Texas A&M the weekend of Thanksgiving weekend. And it was at that particular game that Ricky Williams broke the all-time NCAA rushing record for a running back. It was an incredible, incredible experience. As a matter of fact, as part of this sermon, I want to give you kind of a feeling for what that was like to be in the stadium that day. Just, just a brief little snippet. Check this out on the, on the run that Ricky, the one play where he broke the record. Check this out. 11 yards shy of the record. Williams breaks a hole. Williams, hello, record book. Ricky Williams runs to the Hall of Fame. Touchback. Ricky Williams, touchdown. 60 yards of the record is his. That is a Heisman Trophy winning run right there. Whoa, are you kidding me? Whoa, that was unbelievable. Now, I shared that with you not because it was the Longhorns or because it was against the Aggies. Oh, those are just fringe benefits. I wanted you to get a sense, as best we could, you know, these 18 years removed of that, that feeling of being in the stadium because it was that day. I had heard my entire life about home field advantage. And I knew that it was a real thing. I had played some sports in high school. I knew what that felt like to a certain degree, but at that day, because not only did my friend have an extra ticket, he actually had field passes. I was on the field for part of that game, and what I remember the most, the noise was deafening in my ears. But check this out. The noise was so loud from that, whatever it was back then, 90, 95,000 people in the stadium. It wasn't just the noise in my ears. The sound waves created pressure that like, I felt like on my chest. I was like, Golly, I'm glad that my pecs are so big. I might crush otherwise. And it was unbelievable, the home field advantage. 
You know, home field advantage is one of the primary gifts that God extends, that God intends for the tribe of faith, the church. He's given us this church in order for us to, to feel the benefits and to experience a home field advantage. And just so you understand, a home field advantage is not just a, a feeling. It's not just like a little, woo, this is exciting. No, uh, they have studied statistically college football games, over 2,000 of them, and determined statistically that the home field advantage is worth at least 3.3 points to every home team that takes the field. So when you have the home field advantage, you start the game with at least a field goal advantage over your poor little sad opponent who had to travel to come play on your home field. Well, the fact of the matter is that you and I experience a home field advantage in the church as a part of the tribe of faith that nothing else on the planet can come close to. It's a, it's a home field advantage. As a matter of fact, I think parents, it's one of the things that, that is so critical that we pass down to our kids, that we give them a, a passion and the priority of the home field advantage for the tribe. So they understand and they, they experience it and they feel that it's this home field advantage, this tribe that will drive them, that will carry them, that will sustain them throughout their lives. So that as a family, we don't kind of adopt this laissez-faire, hands-off kind of, you know, whatever, we'll go to church if it works out or unless something shiny rolls in front of our calendar eyes. We're going to make it a priority day in, week in, and week out to be the tribe of faith. We're, we're going to not just become spectators, we're going to be participators in the tribe of faith. And we teach our kids that they will never outgrow their need for this home field advantage. Because you and I know that when we go out into the world, that's when we're on the visiting team's field. We're out there, and Jesus said, in this world you will have many troubles. How many of us know we will have many troubles in this world? But Jesus said, take heart, for he has overcome the world. And it is in the tribe that he gives us this, this home field advantage that we never outgrow. Not just our kids, we never get out, oh, too old for it. To, to think that we could outgrow this need for the home field advantage, it'd be like Ricky Williams crossing that goal line against the Aggies in 1998, jumping up and celebrating, then going, you know what, I've kind of outgrown the team. I'm, I'm going to go play football by myself. We would all kind of be like, yo, Rick, you can't do that, man. I mean, I don't mean like you can't do it like it's a bad idea. I mean, you can't do it. If you go try to play football by yourself, you're no longer playing the game. You, you're, you're doing something. Now, you can pick up the ball and go run with it. Awesome. You're still fast and strong and jacked like our pastor at Lake Hills Church. But, Ricky, you're not playing the game anymore. If you think you ever outgrow your need for this home field advantage... You're not playing the game of faith that God describes biblically. The game of faith that he offers to us as an extension and an expression of his amazing grace. And so today what we want to do is, as we continue this series, Tribe, we want to take a look at this 
home field advantage. What is it that God accomplishes? What is it that God provides in the home field advantage for the tribe of faith? I want you to look in your Bibles in Ephesians chapter number 4. You may have a, you know, an old school book Bible. That's cool. That still works and still valid. Or you may have it on your phone or your iPad. You, you can carry the Bible with you anywhere you go. There's an incredible app called Version. just Y-O-U, Version, V-E-R-S-I-O-N. Incredible. You can carry the Bible. You can carry reading plans with you everywhere you go on your phone or your iPad or whatever it is that you use. But I want to remind you and encourage you, bring your Bibles on the weekend. Bring your Bibles and use them because it is the Bible that is God's Word to us. It doesn't just contain God's Word. It is God's Word. And in Ephesians chapter 4, God is speaking specifically to a local tribe of faith, the, the church at Ephesus. He's speaking through the writings of the Apostle Paul. Now, if you're looking for Ephesians, don't, don't be embarrassed to look in your table of contents. Here's how you can remember this. Ephesians is in the New Testament. There's the Old Testament, the New Testament. The New Testament starts with the big four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then it goes into Acts. Then it goes into some letters that are written to churches. There's Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, and then you get into Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. I always remember those by GEPC, General Electric Power Company. So Ephesians is electric. It's right after Galatians. If you get to Philippians and Colossians, hook a U-turn and come on back. But in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, and here's something you need to remember. When, when we say that the Word of God is inspired by God, that's not somebody sitting under an apple tree and going, Oh God, you inspire me. It is actually God-breathed. It's, it's the same word that gives us respiration. So God breathed the Word of God to human beings who then wrote it down and supernaturally translated it for us, and then it's been supernaturally translated and handed down across generations and millennia. So it is reliable, it is authoritative, and it is the bedrock for everything that we're about as a church family. We are a people of the book. So, so bring your book with you when you come on the weekends. And we learn together how to navigate Scripture, how to apply Scripture. I think one of the biggest challenges for us spiritually along the way is to remember that the Bible's not just something to know or to find out how we know about God, but to get to know God and to apply it where we live day in and day out. And in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is explaining to the church at Ephesus this, this home field advantage and, and, and how you protect the home field advantage, how you, how you get the most out of this home field advantage. Look at what he says in Ephesians 4 verse 3. He says, make Every effort. Say every. every. Uh, that was good. That was good. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, the Spirit of God, binding yourself, yourselves together with peace. Because there is one body, the body of Christ, the tribe of faith. There's one Spirit, Spirit of God, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, Jesus. There is one faith. There is one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, in all, and living through 
all. Well, I mean, there, there's a lot going on there. So when you understand that there is this, this one Lord, this one spirit, one faith, one baptism, one Father over all, in all, living through all, and you understand that it's within the, the tribe of faith, within this home field advantage, that home field advantage cultivates unity. That it cultivates this united spirit that we remember we are all in this together. Now, earlier in our service, I alluded to the fact that on that original 9-11 and in the immediate aftermath, we were united around recovery. We were united around healing and helping and serving and, and all of those things that went into it, all of which were, were good and fine and necessary and healthy. But when we understand what unites us as the tribe of faith, as, as the church, then we remember it's Jesus. Specifically, it's, it's what Jesus did on the cross. It's the fact that the foot of the cross the ground is level. We are all sinners in need of grace. We are all jacked up sinners. All of us. So right now, with a smile on your face and like you really mean it, turn to your neighbor and tell them, I'm a jacked up sinner. Now, if you got in a disagreement with, some, with the person on your way to church this morning, don't say to them, Amen. That's between them and the Lord. But it's the fact of our jacked <laughs> that unites us. Every single one of us needs God's amazing grace. Every one of us. And so when we walk in the doors together, hey, I'm jacked up. Hi, how are you doing? Man, I am messed up. You know what should never happen in church? What should never happen is, is you walk in the door or, or somebody walks in the door and goes, I can't believe so-and-so's here. Oh my gosh, this, the roof could cave in. Listen, the roof could cave in on all of us. The Bible says there is no one good, not one righteous. I, I don't care how awesome you think you are, how many nonprofit hours you volunteer every year. There is still something inside of all of us that needs forgiveness. There's still something. No matter how many little old ladies you help cross the street at 6th Street in Congress, there, there's something inside of you that's kind of like, man, I'm awesome. Look at me helping this little old lady cross the street at 6th Street in Congress. Something inside of us always, always, always looks out for self. Always. And, and it's that predisposition towards Sin. It's that, it's that internal conflict that we have ever since sin entered the world. You've got it. I've got it. All God's chilling. Got it. And so as the tribe, this home field advantage cultivates a sense of unity for us. And we go, listen, we all need this. We, we all are messed up. We all need Jesus. We all need each other. It's that sense of unity. Last night or last Sunday night, you walk into Royal Memorial Stadium or any, any other football stadium. Let's go to Kyle Field for the Aggies in the house. You go to Kyle Field, everybody's dressed in maroon. Everybody. 
I mean, you got the, the cheerleaders who are in white, but that's a whole other sermon. But you've got everybody is united, and they're, man, they know the cheers. They stand up. They kiss after every score. And, man, they, let me tell you what. I tease the Aggies because I care. They have an amazing, an amazing esprit de corps, an amazing sense of community. Aggies look out for Aggies like nobody else on the planet. And if it sounds like I'm envious, it's only because I am. They're awesome. And, and A&M, listen, University of Texas, awesome. Whatever, wherever your football allegiances lie, that's great. But it only goes so far. Now, some of us take it too far, but that's, again, another sermon. The body of Christ, we are united by Jesus, who is eternal, who is amazing grace personified. And when we remember that, we look at each other differently. We treat each other differently. We're like, man, I got your back. We're, we're, we're in this together. We're united. We don't always agree. We, we don't root for the same teams. We don't vote for the same people. Lord, help us. But at the same time, we're going to stay united because we keep in mind what really matters. What did it say in that verse? We have one hope for a glorious future. It is an eternal perspective. Part of living out our faith is remembering that this is temporary. That we are called ultimately in relationship with Jesus to spend eternity with each other and with him. And that one day, God willing, because of Jesus and not because of anything we do, but because of his amazing grace, undeserved favor, we could stand before Jesus and hear him say to us, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. I think of all the things that we need in this life, few things compare to what it feels like when a parent, no matter what age we are, no matter how old we get, when a parent says to us, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. Like, if, let's say that you're a parent, and your mom or your dad says, hey, I just want you to know, I, I noticed the job you're doing as a dad, and I'm proud of you. You're doing a great job. Doesn't, doesn't that just stir something in your soul that nothing else can touch? Now, take that and imagine God himself looking you in the eye and saying, I'm proud of you. Well done. Well done. You fought the good fight. You ran the good race. Well done. I'm proud of you. That's, our, that's, that's the hope that we have of a glorious future because of Jesus. And that unites us both in the here and now and forever. But, but, it's important that we understand that this is not just pie in the sky one day. This is right here, right now. Paul goes on. Verse 7. He says, now, they're, they're, we're united. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And baptism, by the way, really matters as an expression of faith. We're united in baptism with Christ. We're united in baptism with each other. But then in verse 7, Paul says, however... This is like a, but he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. 
Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. So not only does this home field cultivate unity, the home field cultivates godly authority. Godly authority. You see, he says that the, the gifts God's given to the church are the leaders in the church to equip people to do the work that builds up the church, that, that grows the church one life at a time. That, that's, that's, that's what God, that's a gift. Now, most of us, by virtue of the fact that I think most of us are probably Americans, most of us, we, there's something inside of us, we're not crazy about authority. We, we kind of, nah, I don't know. You know, we, we were born out of a rebellion. Now, that authority was horrible. King George III, boo. America, Constitution, Declaration of Independence. But the key here is godly authority. Godly authority. Let, let me show you what God intends with godly authority. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 10. This is so important for everyone, especially students. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Moms and dads, children of all ages, don't miss this. Paul says to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 10.8, I may seem to be boasting too much about the authority given to us by the Lord, but our authority builds you up. It doesn't tear you down. So I will not be ashamed of using my authority. Godly authority builds people up. It equips, it empowers, it inspires. It doesn't tear people down. Now you and I both know that we've got a long, long list of ungodly authority, of authority abused. But, but the home field advantage cultivates a godly authority. When you think of authority, think of author. It, it comes from the same word. An, an author is somebody who conceives a story, they, they dream it up, and then they organize that story in a compelling fashion and present it to people and invite them to participate in it through their imagination and, and whatever else. Well, that's exactly what God does. It's what he calls godly leaders and authority to do, godly parents to do, to, to conceive a story, receive a vision from God of, of what needs to happen and what ought to happen, and then to organize that story, to administrate or manage the story, and then to tell the story and invite people into that story and then equip them and inspire them to participate. So we get so parents, we, we, we say to our kids, listen, here's the deal. God's given me the authority to build you up, to equip you, to empower you, to inspire you, to be everything God wanted it to be. And right now, it's not an easy job. But understand, I'm committed to the task at hand. And I'm, I'm not going anywhere, and I will do what God's called me to do. And so I will not be ashamed to use the authority God's given me. Buckle up, buttercup, because here we go. So it's not a power play, it's a responsibility. And the, the home field advantage cultivates that. I want to ask you to do me a favor. Take out the program that you got when you came in today. It looks like this, tribe, and then flip it over. 
Next Sunday, September the 18th, we kick off a new semester of spiritual growth deliberately, intentional spiritual growth through our Bible study classes, through our life groups, through groups, through our Next Steps class. If you're wondering what does it look like to be a member of the tribe of faith, this particular tribe of faith, our membership Next Steps class is next Sunday, right after this service. But I want to invite you to participate in this home field advantage and jump in. Men's Bible studies, women's Bible studies will be looking at Jesus through the eyes of Matthew. It's an incredible opportunity for our life groups, working through a curriculum, how the Bible fits together. I know so many people who are kind of, in, not intimidated, but intimidated, don't know where to begin with the Bible. Genesis, Revelation, all point, where do I start? This is a great place to put the pieces of the Bible together in kind of a high-altitude perspective. Our own Pastor Terry Cadwell has been working on a curriculum for months that will be absolutely nails. I've already seen it. It's incredible. And our life groups are going to be working through this. So if you're new to Bible or you're new to a group, this is a great time to jump in. But, but it's in that that we discover the story, that we learn how to grow. You know, real maturity embraces authority. Real maturity embraces authority. I learned this firsthand a few years ago. I remember when my kids were in elementary school, somehow I got invited to participate at Forest Trail Elementary School on the campus leadership team. It's a big deal. You may serve on a board of a college or something. I was part of the campus leadership team of an elementary school. And it's just a group of parents that the principal invited to help him manage the school, to help him kind of work through the process, but also to deal with other parents and, and help answer questions so that he didn't have to take and field every single email or phone call from a disgruntled parent. And it was awesome. But here's what was so fun about this. I remember when I walked into this group for the first time, I realized I'm not responsible for this school. The principal, Mr. McCaslin, was responsible for the school. He has forgotten more about educating our young people than I'll ever know. And so as a member of the campus leadership team, it was my responsibility to help him do his job. And so I was going to listen to him and then help him carry out the vision that God had given him or that he was getting to lead this school. And it was a blast. I love not being responsible for stuff. I love just kind of like, how can we help? And I thought, man, how different would his life be if irritated parents, helicopter parents, didn't send him emails every time their kid got too much homework or a teacher misunderstood them? I thought, man, that's, that's not the kind of parent I'm going to be. I'm going to be somebody who helps this authority. Because let me tell you something. He is an authority. Not because he's a top-down George Patton. He's one of the sweetest, nicest men I've ever met in my life, but one of the most gifted leaders I've ever seen. One of the most unbelievable elementary schools I've ever heard of anywhere on the planet. Real maturity embraces authority. What does this sound like to you? You're not the boss of me. Well, number one, yeah, I am. Not, I mean, as a parent. 
Number two, if you're that angry, if you're that rebellious, you're not mature. You don't have an awareness of who you are or where you fit in the program. You're just, you're just making noise. That's not maturity. Which actually is a great segue into where the Apostle Paul goes next. Check this out. Verse 13 in Ephesians chapter 4. Paul says, remember, this is what we're going for. We're, we're, all of these things, we're being built up together in this unity. There's unity. There's godly authority. Verse 13 says, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Now that is the definition of maturity. Godly authority, you kind of go, okay, these people have been doing this a while. If I, if I get to church and the parking crew is out there and they ask me to park somewhere, okay, I'll, I'll park where they ask me to. It's not, is it really that, do I need to bow up? No, I'm going to park where I want. No, I won't scoot to the middle. I mean, really? That's what we're going to bow up on? You know how many hours, how many years have been spent studying, praying, and working on how we do church? Now, we don't do it perfectly. We don't have it all figured out. But we spent more time thinking about it than you have. I promise you that. So, so the goal, the goal is maturity according to Christ's standards, not ours. Christ's standards. Because our standards, we grade ourselves on the curve. Well, I'm more mature than that guy. Well, I went to church on Sunday. She didn't even get out of bed because she couldn't. I mean, it's, it's crazy the games we play. It's crazy the games we play. Our standard is Jesus until we all reach maturity and hear me when I say there are certain things that only happen on the home field to cultivate maturity there's certain aspects of your spiritual growth my spiritual growth that only happen in the context of the tribe you only learn selflessness with other people. You, you only exercise real humility when you put other people's needs above your own. You only practice actual commitment with other people. I mean, we, we've got we've to get over this self-made man, self-made woman mentality now everything that we've talked about so far this morning has been the introduction I just finished the introduction to the sermon some of you are getting very nervous right now Mac just so you're knowing NFL kicks off and I'm about to roll whether you're done or not I get that. That's cool. First of all, the Cowboys don't play until 315. 
Second of all, who cares? I pray for Tony Romo. I think he's a good guy, man. I really I hurt for him. Remember, long-sufferingness, long-suffering is a fruit of the Spirit. So if you're a Cowboys fan, you are growing spiritually every single year. But here's the body of the sermon. Here, here's the meat. Yes, God cultivates unity, godly authority. Yes, God brings all of these things to the, to the forefront, and he, he cultivates ultimate maturity on the home field. But we are the home field advantage. You're the advantage. Tell your neighbor right now like you mean it. You're the advantage. We are the home field advantage. The home field advantage has nothing to do with location. It has everything to do with the tribe. It has everything to do with what we are growing into, what we are becoming, not being settled on standing pat and just showing up from time to time, but being the tribe of faith and living out as the body of Christ who died and rose again. That's what this is all about. We are the home field advantage. That's what this is. And it's too good to pass up. It's too good to keep to ourselves. And some of us here today have never tasted it. Some of us here today have never participated in it. And I believe with everything I have that God has an invitation in store for you. That, that God wants you to experience an advantage that is worth a lot more than 3.43 points per game. That he wants you to experience an advantage in unity, in godly authority, and in real maturity, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, professionally, psychologically. Only he can provide. And that he has chosen in his infinite wisdom and grace to provide through the tribe of faith. If you're here today and you've never stepped into a relationship with Jesus, that's what this is all about. It's a place of beginning. It's a place of committing. And saying, I need Jesus. And I will respond to his grace initiative. I will confess my sin and claim his forgiveness. And I will begin in this moment to follow him from this moment forward throughout this life and forevermore. Because I have a hope for a glorious future. I want to ask everybody right now if you would just bow your heads for a moment. Just for a moment. If you're here today and you've never stepped into that relationship, we invite you to join the tribe, to commit your life to Christ, to stand at the foot of the cross with the rest of us who realize it's level and we need forgiveness.
If that's you, you just pray a prayer right now, a prayer of beginning, but a prayer of commitment to him. Responding. He's already taken the initiative. He died on the cross for you. He rose again for you. And his Holy Spirit right now is making you aware of your need for him. So it all begins and is held together and ends in him. We get to respond to his grace, in his grace. If that's you, you just pray these words. In your own words, something like this, a prayer of commitment. Just say, Jesus, just silently talk to him right where you are. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I confess my sin, holding nothing back in order to claim your forgiveness. And I commit my life to you once and for all. Right here, right now. Jesus, I love you and I will follow you from this moment forward. And I pray this prayer in your name. you just to remain with your heads bowed for a moment because this is holy ground folks more important than football more significant than lunch we're talking about forever and if that was your prayer today and you meant it then we want to invite you to be a part of this tribe you're already a part of the tribe of faith at large the body of Christ because you've received what Jesus did for you, committed your life to him but now we want to invite you just to put down roots take advantage of that home field advantage in the program that that you have in your hand if you open it up there's a thing in there called the connect card and There's a place for you to fill out your name and contact information and then just about halfway down or so to indicate, I've committed my life to Christ this week. If you just fill out that card and tear it off at the perforation and before you leave today, just briefly, make a personal connection. You can hand it to one of our ushers who wear the really cool blue shirts, have our logo on them, or you can stop at the canopy underneath the front porch on your way out, kind of the big exit here, and just hand it to somebody and briefly just say, hey, today was my day, so that we can begin a conversation, we can help, help you grow in your faith personally, and help you grow in the participation of this home field advantage. Others of you, maybe there's a prayer request that you want us to pray with you about, or you want to take the next steps in growing spiritually as we kick off this new semester of spiritual growth. That card's there for for you. Any way that we can help or serve, that's what it's there for. But you've got to let us know. Now, if you just stepped over that line of faith and prayed to receive Christ, committing your life to Him, 
There's one other thing that I want to ask you to do as our heads are bowed, as our eyes are closed because of this sacred moment. Would you just mark this moment by raising your hand up high over your head? Just raise your hand up high and know that you marked this moment in your life to know that it's real, that it happened. And September 11th, 2016 is a day that changed everything, but it's also a moment to mark in the life of this church. So your hand in the air identifies this moment in your life and in the life of this tribe of faith. And know that we honor that and we celebrate it. And as you put your hands down, we put our hands together to say, welcome home. Welcome home.